Lord, that they would grow up uh, in, in your ways, Lord. And God, we just pray for Pastor Tim this morning as he's coming to bring your word to us as he continues to teach to us through the book of Acts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would and grab your Bible. Uh, if you're a guest today at the Point Church, we want you to know we're a Bible church. Uh, that every week when we get together, we open up the Scriptures, and primarily our method of teaching and preaching here is verse-by-verse verse exposition through the Bible, and we've been in a journey in the book of Acts uh, for the last couple of years, actually. Took a few breaks here and there for some other things, but we're still just plugging along. I don't want to miss a verse. I don't want to miss a story. Uh, I want you to get everything that God has for us uh, in this book. We land today in Acts chapter 21, okay? Acts chapter 21, and I'm going to preach through verses 17 through 36. Don't let that make you nervous. It's primarily a narrative, uh, but I'll, uh, I'll read the verses to you as I teach through it. As I've studied and uh, gone through this text, I've landed on the title, uh, Misunderstandings in the Family misunderstandings in the family. We're going to see today that Paul is misunderstood by his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ during this time of transition. I remind you the book of Acts is a book of transition. And we're going to see how that creates uh, some issues today. So have your Bible open in your lap. If you don't have a copy, if you'll look on the racks in the uh, uh, under the chairs around you, we have some copies there, a kind of a hardback version. Uh, I preach from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have one, uh, to take that uh, as a gift from us, if you'll just use it, okay? And I say this every now and then, we don't want you to have 12 or 15 of them stacked up at your house. Uh, but we do want you to have one if you don't have a Bible. The verses will also uh, be up on the screen as I read them and teach through it. Misunderstandings in the family. Author L.M. Montgomery said, It's dreadful what little things lead people to misunderstand each other. Uh, am I speaking to anyone in the room that has been misunderstood? Uh, have you blurted something out or made a statement or two and after it came out you're looking at the face for the response of the person that you're speaking to and you say to yourself oh my word what did I just say right or, or maybe you say something and then you have to clarify it by saying well I did say that but that's not really what I meant uh, life is filled with misunderstandings you can even uh, find yourself being misunderstood uh, in a, a body like this, in a community like this. You may have pure motives. Your goal may be right. Your desires may be right. You know, you just want to serve the Lord or maybe take initiative uh, in a particular area. And sometimes uh, we have uh, the propensity to bump into one another. Amen? Or you might say, oh, me right there, right? Someone said that the body of Christ is designed not to be marbles bouncing off of each other, but rather we're to be grapes squeezed together for something beautiful. And I think that's a good picture. The picture there is of unity. It's of, of being together. You know, can't we just all get along? Can't we, uh, can't we all live in joy and, and harmony and unity all the time? How many of you would be honest today and say that doesn't happen always at the residence I live at? I'll raise both of my hands, right? You know why? Because in life, you have misunderstandings. In life, things happen. And, and, and I really believe this. There would be more peace in the church. There would be more peace in our families. There would be more peace in the world if we simply would just have the ability to clear up misunderstandings. You know why? Because misunderstandings lead to resentment. And resentment leads to anger. Anger leads to division. Division leads to bitterness. And unfortunately, many times, all of that leads to hate in our heart. We've got animosity. We're, we're frustrated. We, we live months and even years with this angst in us. And it all started with just a misunderstanding. Misunderstandings lead to a lack of unity in the family. A lack of unity in the body of Christ. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying His high priestly prayer. 
And in verse number 20, it says, I do not ask for these only. Jesus is saying, I'm not only asking for the disciples who are near me and closest to me, the ones that I have lived with and poured myself into. I'm not just asking for these, but I'm also asking for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they may all be, say it with me, church, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, would you just wave at me? You know Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's a wonderful thing, right? Let me add something to that. It's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus has prayed for you, that Jesus is praying for you. In these two verses, it clearly says that Jesus prayed for you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. Jesus prayed for you that once you were saved and came into the body of Christ, that you would live in unity. Now, how many of you believe that Jesus is God? Uh, We believe we hold a Trinitarian position here at our church. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And since Jesus is God, we know that He is omnipotent. That means that He is all-powerful. We know that He is omnipresent. That means that He is everywhere at all times. We know that He is omniscient. And that means that He knows all things. He never has a day of discovery. As Jesus prayed in John 17, for us to be one, Jesus already knew that there would be division in the church. Jesus already knew that there would be misunderstandings. Jesus already knew that you would would take something that your sister or brother said to you, that you would take it the wrong way. And seeds of bitterness would take root in your heart and it would lead you away. And so there's this reminder to constantly be coming back to the matter of unity and togetherness in the church. As we studied through the book of Acts, we came to Acts chapter 6, and guess what? Right off the bat, the first misunderstanding in the church. It says that the Hellenist widows, the Greek widows, were offended because they felt like that the church cared more about the Hebrew widows. Well, y'all love them more than you love us. And we know that wasn't the case. It was just a matter of oversight, right? And so they came together and they said, let's, let's fix this problem. And when we have misunderstandings, it's always a wonderful thing when it can be fixed. But how many of you found that sometimes you can't fix misunderstandings? We're going to see that in the text today. Look in your Bible. Acts 21, verse 17. If you're following my outline, I want you to see in verses 17 through 20 that God is glorified through obedience. God is glorified through His children obeying Him. Now, in Paul's journey, he is on his way to Jerusalem, and we land in verse 17 today that he arrives in Jerusalem, and it says that the brothers received us gladly. They were glad to see Paul. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. This James is the brother of Jesus, who was considered to be the head of the church there in Jerusalem, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through His ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to Him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. So, We see that Paul arrives and he sits down and he begins to share with them all of the wonderful things that he has seen God do. Uh, Can I hit the pause button here for just a second? And I want to challenge our church today. I want to challenge all of our families to take some time this afternoon or tonight or, or this week to sit down and celebrate all the things that God has done for you and in your life. How many of you found that God is faithful, that God is good, that God has brought you to work? How many of you can look back and just see God's hand at work in your life? A couple of weeks ago, I spent two days with an employee of the Florida Baptist Convention 
uh, who carried me through what is called a life plan. And we spent two days together uh, just going through my life from the time I was born to this day and just uh, combing through and opening up some back closets and, and talking about my desires and my passion and, and what God had called me to do. And, and we're sitting in this room, uh, and I'm sitting in the middle of the room in a chair, and, and all four walls of the room have these wide uh, sticky note papers that we've been writing on and making notes for a couple of days. I think there were about 23 of them. And he said, I want you to sit there and I want you to just look around, look around the wall and, and kind of go through each one. And he looked at me and he said, I want to ask you, Tim, what do you see? And the only thing I could respond and say was, God has been faithful and God has been good to me. God has been faithful. Is there anybody in the house that can say amen to the fact that God has been faithful and he's been good to you? God be glorified one by one. It says Paul began to share with them story after story after story of what he had seen God do. It reminds me of the hymn we sang so many times growing up in church. Count your many blessings, name them, name them one by one. That's exactly what Paul is doing here in our text. He's praising God. He's giving God the glory. And I want you to notice that the response from James and the elders, is that they were not starstruck with the servant, but they were starstruck with the Savior. They were starstruck over what God had done. I'm afraid in the Christian church today, we become way too starstruck over personalities, over people, over pastors. I was talking to a dear, dear pastor friend of mine yesterday who was on his way back from a conference in another state, and he, he brought out the fact. He said, you know what? Uh, there, were, there were literally thousands of people at this conference, and a lot of, of who's who names were on the, the program. And he said, I'm going to tell you who preached the best message. It was the guy from a small church who got up there and brought the Word. He preached expositionally with the passion and the power of God on his life. And then he went on to say, I'm afraid sometimes we go to conferences like this and we're mesmerized by man more than we're mesmerized by God. Point Church, may we always be mesmerized by the grace and the work of God. Because anything that happens of eternal value, it is not produced by the flesh. It is produced by the mighty power and the awesome work of God. And when you see God at work and you see eternal fruit being born, your natural response should be to glorify God. As a matter of fact, let me go a step further and say that the primary reason for your existence today is that your life will bring God glory. That God would be glorified in the manner in which you spend your time. That God would be glorified in the manner in which you speak and the people that you invest in, the things you do, the places you go. May God receive glory in our lives by the manner in which we obey Him. Are you living a life of obedience today? Are you obeying the Lord? Sometimes as Christians, we, you know, we talk, I've encountered Christians, well, you know, Pastor, I, I just don't, I'm just searching, I just want to know, I don't know what God wants me to do. I've got a great suggestion for you today. Here it is. You ready? Get busy obeying and doing what you already know He's told you to do. Obey the Lord. Obey what you know because God is glorified when we obey Him. Get busy doing what God has called you to do. Sometimes people say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm just, you know, there are other people doing significant things and I'm just a nobody. Let me tell you something. God's Word says that every single one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has a purpose for your life. And when you're living in that purpose and you're obeying Him, you are bringing Him glory. What I want you to see in 17 through 20 is that Paul has a life that is a trail of obedience. A trail of obedience. God working through His servant. Aren't you amazed today that the God of the universe would choose to use us? I'm amazed. I'm amazed that God would use me to do anything because I'm a dirty, rotten, low-down scoundrel who's been saved by God's grace. 
I've been, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to stand up here and preach. None of us are worthy. We're made worthy through the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. God is glorified. God is glorified when we respond to that obedience and when we serve Him with all of our lives. So 17 through 20, I want you to, I want you to celebrate with me, okay? All of the churches that have been planted, all the people that have been saved, all the disciples that have been raised up, God has done wonderful things in Paul's three missionary journeys. Can you agree with that? How many of you know, though, when... God's at work, the devil doesn't like it. Look at verse 21. As they're celebrating with him the thousands who've been saved. Into verse number 20. They're, they're all these Jews who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. And they have been told, uh-oh, rumor mill in the church. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. Point number two, verse number 21. People are going to misunderstand us. People are going to... It's, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Paul is experiencing that in verse number 21. Here's the story. Paul, we're excited a lot. A lot of Jews have been saved. Thousands of them have come to Christ. But Paul, there, there, there's something here that we've got to talk about. They're still very zealous for the law. They're still very committed to the law of Moses. And this is the word that's circulating around. They're being told that you're out preaching and you're telling people, no, you don't have to worry about the law of Moses. Uh, you, you don't have to circumcise your sons. Uh, you don't have to follow after the customs anymore. You don't have to do that because Christ has come and now the gospel is, is preached and all of that is irrelevant. How many of you can see how that's a problem in the Jewish culture? I mean, it's been ingrained in them. It's been, I mean, it's been indoctrinated in them. You, you can relate to this. Some of you... Some of you have been ingrained and indoctrinated in a Southern Baptist church. Can you wave at me today? I mean, it's just in you. It's the right way to do it, right? And change is a cuss word. Do, doing something different is bad. Uh, there was a young man, I'll tell you this. He won't mind me telling you this. He would laugh about it. A young man was here this morning, and he visited a couple times, and he was telling me about how he ended up here. And, and uh, I said, how did you find him? He said, well, my mom was helping me do some research and stuff. He said... I said, well, what particularly were you looking for? He said, well, we were looking for a church, and we want to make sure it wasn't Baptist. And so we came here, and it's all good, you know. So, so I laughed a little bit, and I said, uh, buddy, we're Baptist, all right? It was funny. It was funny. He thought it was funny, too, okay? Um, how many of you know we've got some family members sometimes that don't make us look so good, right? Uh, don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. Where was I? So, so Paul here is, he, he's, dealing with, he's dealing with being misunderstood because he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? I mean, he was a Jew, a very devout Jew. And, and, and they're hearing these rumors and they're getting, all these, they're getting all these innuendos and all these accusations. And they're, they're ready not to receive Paul into Jerusalem and love on him. They're ready to string him up by his toenails. Because he's teaching something that is contrary to what they believe. You know what's happening here in the text? Legalism is at work behind the scenes. Legalism is at work. There always has been and there always will be a battle between legalism and the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know why? Because inside of man there is something that innately that says... I've got to do something to gain God's favor. I, I've got to do some type of work. Why is it that we struggle so much with feeling like we have to contribute something to our own salvation? That's not the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Look, look at me. You waved at me a minute ago. I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. Can I, can I take that a step further and say to you that if you are a Christian, if you truly are born again by God's grace, then you know you did not save yourself. You know you weren't good enough. You know you couldn't do enough works. You know you couldn't give enough. There is no way to earn eternal salvation in Christ. You can't work for it. You have to get to a point where you realize that you're helpless and hopeless. That you can't save yourself. You see, Christianity is not about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about trying harder. And let me add, it's not about giving Jesus a chance in your life. It's about you realizing that you're a sinner. That you have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. And you have violated His laws and His command. And you are literally in animosity. Romans 5 says you are an enemy of God. But God who is rich in mercy and grace sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and shed His blood to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. You know what the Bible says? The natural man does not understand the things of God. That's why there's so much misunderstanding about salvation. Y'all with me here? Uh, in, in this verse, it's saying that, that legalism is rearing its ugly head. And, and I would add to that, it's always difficult to get people to break away from their religion. Now, what's the misunderstanding here? How many of you remember a couple of overt acts that Paul did in order to show that, that he was not denouncing the law of Moses. Anybody remember what he did in Acts chapter 16? When he brought Timothy into the ministry, into his little posse, so to speak, if you would, what did he do with Timothy? He had Timothy go and be circumcised so that he would relate to the Jews that he would be sharing the gospel with. In Acts chapter 18, it says that Paul himself took a vow. He took a vow. Why did he do that? Because he, he did not want to deliberately denounce or discredit the law. As hard as he tried, it still wasn't enough. Paul was still misunderstood. Can, can I ask you something? Have you ever been misunderstood by a brother or sister in Christ? Have you ever been misunderstood? Has someone ever said something about you that just wasn't true? And it wasn't fair? That's what's happening to Paul. And so people are misunderstanding him inside the family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. But verse number 30 tells us that he's being misunderstood by those who were not yet Christians, the rest of the people in town. In verse number 30, the city was stirred up. The people ran together. And they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple at once, and the gates were shut. You know what I know? I know there are many people in the lost world that have opinions about us that are not fair. I'm talking to us as Christians today. I really think Christians are misunderstood in this world. Let me illustrate. There are people in this world that think that you and I are a bunch of uneducated, narrow-minded bumpkins. I mean, that's what they think about us. They think there's no way that you could be an intelligent human being and put your faith and trust in Jesus who you've never seen. There's a misunderstanding there because some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life are Christians. Some, there's some... There's some really intelligent people who are Christians. Not in this... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> There's some people in this room that are, that are brilliant, brilliant-minded. But the world thinks, oh, well, you're just, you're just weak. You're just narrow. You'll fall. You're gullible. You'll fall for anything. You know what else the world thinks? The world thinks, many think that you and I are just mean, hateful people. That we're just mad all the time. And I would say... Some of the sweetest, most loving people I've ever met in my life are Christian people. Just loving. Now, now let me speak to the one or two or three or four that may be here today 
that, that, that you feel like your life's mission is to be mean and hateful, you need to repent of your sin and let the love of Christ fill your heart. When you go to work, if everybody on your job thinks of you as the person who's irritated all the time, and you're mad all the time, and you're talking about politics all the time, and you're straightening everybody out all the time, you might want to take a hard look at yourself and repent of your spirit. Amen, Pastor. Because the Word of God says, let your speech be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer every man. I get it. There are mean, hateful people in the world, but I'm going to tell you, most of the Christians that I've met and I've worshipped with and I've served the Lord with, we are not mean, hateful people. There's a misunderstanding there. There's a misunderstanding. The world thinks that, that Christians just go around judging everyone, that we are intolerant. I was talking to a pastor this week, and, and he was telling me about this young lady who's trusted Christ, and she's just so you know, serving the Lord and just like a sponge, taking it all in. And this Christian couple had invited her over to their house and they were sharing with her some things. And the man pulls out his Bible and begins to teach her. And he basically tells her that your mission as a Christian, you need to get up every day, the places you go and the people you interact with, your number one goal is to rebuke people. I don't know about you, but I don't find that in the Bible. If you get up in the morning and sprinkle gunpowder over your cereal, and then you go out the door mad every day, and you're going to look at who you can straighten out and who you can this, that, and the other, you are a miserable human being. I don't see the joy of the Lord anywhere in that. Is there anybody going to agree with me today, or am I on an island by myself? You're intolerant. You're intolerant. You're mad. You're mean. You're caustic. That's not the Christianity of the Bible. Now, that does not mean that we don't stand for what we believe. There's not one verse in this Bible that I'll back up or apologize for. And, and, as, and as kind and, and as nice as I try to be sometimes, people don't want to hear it. Because at the end of the day, I'm really not going to apologize for being narrow minded. I believe the Bible. I believe that narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. But I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't mean I have to be mad about it. I need to be heartbroken over those that are not on the way. And we need to live by the mission statement of this church. And that is what? Loving people to the point of life, Jesus Christ. One other misunderstanding. One other misunderstanding. I've got to throw this one in there. You know what the world thinks about us? The world thinks that we don't know how to have fun. That's what they think about us. And, and I have to kindly say, no, what I believe is I don't have to wake up on Saturday or Sunday morning and not remember anything that happened the night before as your definition of fun. I want people in the world to understand when they're around me that I'm enjoying life, that I'm not irritated all the time but that Christ is living in me and I know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and no matter what happens in this world, I know where I'm going because I'm saved by the blood of Christ. But you know what? Just like Paul, i got to hasten on, just like Paul, it doesn't matter how hard you try, people are going to misunderstand you and they're going to call you judgmental and all the things that I just mentioned. How many of you can wave at me and say, yep, it's already happened? Because that's the way the world is. Let me move quickly, 22 to 27. What are we going to do? What's the plan? 22 to 27 show us that, shows us that sometimes things that are planned don't go as planned. Sometimes planning doesn't go as planned. So what are the elders' response to this? We've got this uproar. There's a lot of questions. Verse 22, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. You've got to get in their world here for a minute. They're the leaders, right? What are we going to do, Paul? A lot of gossip, a lot of things going on, and they're certainly going to find out that you're here. What's going to be our response? Let's give them a little bit of credit here. Their goal is to bring peace in the body of Christ. They want to bring everyone together. 
And so they devise a plan. Verse 23, do what we tell you. We have four men here who are under a vow. Take these men. Purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Man, this plan is going to work. Paul, if you'll just do this, man, it's going to clear everything up. It'll make everything crystal clear. We're going to find out clear as mud. 25, as for the Gentiles who believed, we sent them a letter with our judgment that they should abstain for what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and for what has been strangled from sexual immorality. The result of the Jerusalem council was the letter to the Gentiles saying, hey, you're offending the Jews by the meat that you're eating. We're asking you to abstain from that. Abstain from that. And so now the thing's kind of flipped around. They're saying to Paul, Paul, you need to do something that would be a a peace offering, if you will, to the Jewish people. You need to take these four men who are under a Nazarite vow, which was a 30-day vow, seven days of purification, and then they would shave their head as a public display. Do you remember when we looked at uh, Samson in our Bible reading? They would take the hair that they shaved to the temple and give it to the priest to be offered as a sacrifice, and they would give an offering to the temple. Paul, here's what you need to do. Here's four guys in the midst of the Nazarite vow. You need to join in with them. And maybe, we're not sure, maybe Paul went through a purification process with them because many times Jews that had been traveling who had come in contact with or been around Gentiles to get that filth off of them, they would come back to Jerusalem and do a purification process for seven days. Paul, jump in with them. You can do the purification. And then as a public display at the temple, when everybody's there and they're watching, they can see you go in and pay the fee, the tax, if you will, the offering for these four men. Paul, if you'll do that, this is going to work out great. So what did Paul do in verse 26? Paul took them in. The next day he purified himself along with them. He went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. How many of you I'm wondering in the room, um, maybe you can think back to a time where you offered a peace offering? Can you think of one maybe? Maybe you hurt somebody's feelings and you came with a plate of chocolate chip cookies. Anybody tracking with me right now? Y'all got this really blank look on my face, on your face. I've had to bake a lot of chocolate chip cookies through the years. Peace offerings. You're trying to offer something that can maybe clear things up, right? Or, or you, can, you can offer something that really says, really says, I'm sorry. What you're trying to do is win people over. And again, let's give the elders some credit here. Their goal was to do something publicly to, to win some favor. If I could just give you... Uh, maybe a, a weak illustration, but an illustration of this. When we send missionaries to the foreign field, not only do they go to language school to uh, learn the language so they can communicate, but they also do cultural studies. Why do they do that? Well, they want to know how they dress. They don't want to offend them, if you will. They want to they dress Uh, to match the culture, if you will. They want to blend in. In other words, a missionary's mind is not to go to a foreign country and westernize them all. The goal is to go and to be a part of that community and to receive some favor or some goodwill. And that's kind of what the elders are thinking here. We need to come up with a plan to offer some peace and some goodwill. We need to remember sometimes, though, The very best plans that we come up with are not God's plans. Sometimes we get some really good plans. I was sitting in the car, front seat of the car. I had my pen out and a little journal out a couple days ago. And man, I was just writing some plans down. And when I got through writing them all down, you know what thought I had based off this sermon? This may never happen. It may never happen. I wonder how many of you today maybe have had some plans And you thought they were great. But God had a different plan. 
it, it, was not, it was not God's plan for this plan to work. And that's hard for us to accept sometimes. Because we forget that when we are working our plan, even our best plans, God is working His plan, and His ultimate plan is the furtherance of the gospel and for Him to be glorified in all things. Now let me finish up in verse 27 with what happens. I want you to see in 27 through 36 that sometimes you have to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And particularly in this text, suffering for the gospel can sometimes be initiated in the family. It can be initiated by brothers and sisters in Christ. That's hard for us to understand. Several years ago, a man wrote a book about Christian persecution. And he said one of the places that Christians can experience great persecution is in the church. Because when you decide that you're going to live for Christ and live out the gospel, the religious crowd loses their minds. And they start trying to figure out all the reasons why you couldn't and shouldn't do that. But here Paul begins to experience suffering. Look at verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd. They laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple. Shame on him, right? He's defiled this holy place. There was a sign on the wall going right into the temple court that very clearly said, no Jew was to bring a Gentile into the court. If you do that, you are in danger of losing your life. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And here's rumor mill again. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. All the city was stirred up. The people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. That, that would be the commander of the military regiment. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. Can you see in the text that it was his brothers and sisters in Christ who got everybody stirred up? Can you see that? And now Paul is grabbed, he's beaten, he's suffering, he's suffering for the sake of the gospel. And I mean, let me bring this message down to a close. How many of you know there are different levels of suffering? There's different levels of hardship. Some of you, or some in our church, should I say, have been suffering with physical issues. We have people in our church that are, that are suffer, suffering with cancer. Got a great call late Thursday night from uh, Brother Steve and Miss Sue. I saw Sue sitting right over here who called me on the phone to share with me some good reports that he's gotten from his cancer treatment that he's been going through. And we celebrate that and we praise God for that. Suffering, suffering in our body. How many of you know it? Uh, you don't really, you don't minimize any type of suffering, okay? You don't minimize any type. But it's a different kind of suffering. Yesterday, my friend, Pastor Lonnie Wesley at Hillcrest Baptist Church on Nine Mile preached the funeral for the young man and his sister who was killed by the drunk driver uh, last Friday night. He preached that funeral yesterday. How many of you know that's just a different type of suffering? Is that mother sat there on that front row and her young teenage son and young daughter were taken out into eternity. Suffering. That's hard. That's hard living. How many of you know it's a whole nother level of suffering when you give your life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
We hear stories of Christians being beheaded. We hear it in the news, right? Suffering. And the world, the world misunderstands that, Jeff. You know what the world says? <laughs> yeah, your, your God loves you. Oh yeah, your, your God really loves you. If your God loved you, why did He give you cancer? If your God really loves you, why did He let your child be killed in an automobile accident? If God really loved those Christians in the Middle East, why would He let them suffer through being beheaded? Because that's an awful way to die. The world misunderstands that, right? But as Christians, you and I can see the bigger picture. Hey, we would lose our mind if we couldn't, wouldn't we? I mean, wouldn't we? I'd go slap crazy if I didn't have a concept and an understanding of the sovereignty of God. That God's in control through it all. And Paul, we're just, we're just beginning here. This narrative just takes off and we're going to see how Paul gives a response and it goes right on. You know where this is, this is beginning a new stage for Paul in his life because this is the beginning of the end. Paul is on his way to Rome to die for the sake of the gospel. Now, real quickly, real quickly, I, I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. If you'll allow me to ask a question this way, you didn't sign up for being saved, but let me use that phrase if I could to ask you this question. When you got saved, did you know what you were signing up for? Did you think Christianity was just going to be banana splits and vacations? Did you think it was always going to be a bed of roses? That it was always going to be easy? What happened for the Apostle Paul? Paul knew that he was going to give his life, for the, he was going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now, let me, let me close with this. Misunderstandings. I'll come back to Paul in just a second. Misunderstandings. Let me be very clear. In our lives, we are to seek peace and pursue it. That's what we seek. Look on the screen. What does Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 say? If possible. I think the King James says, as much as lies in you. <laughs> in other words, put some effort into it. If possible. So far as it depends on you. Say that last phrase with me, church. Live Say it again. How, how simple is that? Just because somebody doesn't look like you, dress like you, act like you, vote like you, think like you, God's Word still says your goal is to live at peace with people. Live at peace. Inevitably, somebody says, yeah, I'm not compromising what I believe. Come on. You've got a bad attitude what you've got. You can stand for what you believe and have conviction and backbone but do it with the grace and mercy of the lord jesus christ seek peace now let me let me say one more thing blessed are the peacemakers that doesn't mean we stand out in the middle of the street and get run over jesus said in luke chapter 12 and verse 51 what did he say about peace look on the screen do you think that i've come to give peace on the earth no i tell you but rather division and he went on to say in the book of Matthew, I came to make peace with a sword. In other words, Jesus is the final authority. He's in control. And sometimes it's just truth. Sometimes you're not going to be at peace with others because their heart has never been changed by the gospel. I'm done. I want to point out that sometimes as we suffer, we need to remember what Paul's plight was. Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 15 on the screen. You remember when Paul, or when Saul was on the road to Damascus? He was struck down. He was blinded. His spiritual sight got fixed, and then his physical sight got fixed. He was with Ananias, Right? And God is speaking to Ananias in verse number 15. The Lord said to him, Go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name, where? Before the Gentiles, 
The report that he gave in the first few verses I read for you was what God was doing among the Gentiles. To carry the gospel in front of kings, we're going to see in just a couple of chapters, he's going to be standing right in front of King Agrippa, and he's going to give a defense of the gospel there at Caesarea Maritima. And the children of Israel. Do you see the uproar among the children of Israel? It was a part of God's sovereign plan for Paul to be misunderstood because God wanted to bring clarity for everyone that you cannot be saved by being baptized. You cannot be saved by taking communion. You're not saving your children by having them circumcised. You're only saved through the free grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved. But verse 16, and I'm done. For I will show him, I'm going to show Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. There's no misunderstanding here, is there? Paul, you're going to get falsely accused. You're going to get rejected. You're going to be mistreated. But keep the end goal in mind. Church, look at me. Through the misunderstandings, if you have misunderstandings in the body of Christ that you need to get right, do it. Do it. Get it right. Don't let that hinder your walk. At the same time, you need to understand that the world does not understand the life that you and I live in Jesus Christ. They don't understand. So what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We remain obedient to God to bring Him glory. Through it all, we stand firm in what we believe, even to the point of giving our life for the sake of the gospel. And all God's people said, can we pray together? You've been a great group to preach to. Great group. Thank you for listening so well. I love the Bible. I love the stories. I love the narratives. And I really want to challenge you every week. I want you to walk out of here every week being challenged in your heart and challenged in your mind. I, I, really, I really pray that as we do church and ministry, as I preach the Bible here, that what you really hear is you really hear from my heart and from God's call in my life that what I'm really, I'm really saying that every single one of us week by week, need to walk out of here with a challenge to raise the standard in our commitment to the Lord. To cast aside selfish desires, self-gratification, self-praise, self-glory. Cast that aside. And remember that God shares His glory with no one. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of me dying today for His namesake. He's worthy of that. Because church, what's the worst thing that could happen to you today? You close your eyes in death and wake up in the presence of the Lord? I call that a pretty good day. A pretty good day. Through it all, through the misunderstandings, the victories, the highs and the lows, God is good. God is faithful. Is there anybody here today who would say, Pastor Tim, this matter of salvation is just not, it's not settled in my heart and I'm bothered by it. I'm under conviction about it. God is saying something to me about my relationship with Christ and I'm wrestling through it. I'm struggling with it. And Tim, I want to ask you to pray for me today. Is there anybody across the room? Just slip your hand up. I'm not going to walk back to you or embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Across the room, anybody, Pastor Tim, would you pray for me? Anybody across the room, Pastor Tim, will you pray for me, my personal salvation? God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. It's just not settled. It's just not settled. I've got some anxiety about it. I'm just, I just need prayer. Anybody else across the room? I'm going to tell you something. The greatest, the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life is to humble yourself and swallow your pride and get honest before God and say, God, I need you. I need Jesus in my life. That's the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life. 
don't go away without Christ. Let me tell you how we do things around here. It may be different from anywhere you've ever been. But we have what we call encouragers. And we place them at each one of the doors in the back of the three main aisles. And they stand right there by the door. And they stand there for one reason. They're not just there to tell you bye and have a good lunch. They stand there as our counselors, our biblical counselors. We call them encouragers because they're there to encourage you. Whatever you've got going on in your life, whatever you're struggling through, maybe your heart's broken today over some misunderstandings in your family or a previous church or another relationship. And you just say, man, I want to give that to the Lord. And if there's anything I can do to get it right, I'll do it. Listen to me. You may bake a plate of cookies and it may not get fixed. But you still need to do what God tells you to do about it. Misunderstandings are a big part of our Christian journey. Can we stand together? Thank you for listening so well, so well. Misty's playing, we're not going to sing today, but Misty's playing that song that we sang earlier, I Lift My Eyes Up. That comes right out of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills from whence comes my help. Where does our help come from, church? Our help comes from the Lord. If you need help in your misunderstandings, it comes from the Lord. Amen? Now, we want to be a church of connection and fellowship. We have small groups that meet immediately after the service. Some of you are guests. I've met some of you that have you know, been visiting, you've been here for a while. Some of you, I see your face and I've never met you. I really would give you a personal invitation if I could to come tonight at 6 o'clock next door for our dinner with the pastor. It's just a sweet time of fellowship. There's not anything high pressure that goes on there. It's very relaxed. I share a few minutes about our church and what God's doing here and how you might get involved and serve the Lord. We have a wonderful meal together. Low-key, low-pressure, about an hour and 15 minutes. We'd love to see you tonight. If you need somebody to carry a burden with you or to pray with you, see one of our encouragers as you're, as you're walking out the door. I want to pray a prayer of blessing before I dismiss you. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've taught us today through Paul's life. I pray as we leave today that you'll go with us. Go with us as we go out and leave a trail of obedience. Go with us as we go out to be salt and light in our community. To go back to our homes and to live out the gospel with our, with our wives and our husbands and our children, our families. And as we go, I pray that you will bless us and keep us. Lord, make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace even through the misunderstandings. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.